It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. John Eads, Ian Unsworth back here taking you all the way up to 10 o'clock on this fine Saturday. Be sure to check us out at orangefizz.net online or at orangefizz on Twitter. Today we'll be talking about Quincy Garrier and his prospects of going pro or transferring to another school. What does that mean for Syracuse? We'll talk about the Syracuse football running back room, how it looks going into the fall with Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams back in the fold, and of course Sean Tucker. And then we'll get into our five-star review followed by everyone's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback. But first of all, Ian, how you doing here? Finals coming to a close here, second semester of sophomore year. How uh, how we doing? I'm good, and uh, I'm, I'm a little worried, John. I'm not going to lie. There's been a lot of, like, buzz floating around this campus this week about recruiting and what's, what's happening with this Arthur Kaluma situation, so I'm excited to talk about that later because I think Kaluma, if he comes here, could be a replacement, per se, for Quincy Garrier. But in terms, I'm doing all right, and it's nice that it's nice here in Syracuse to get the get the get the rain out of the way, get the sun out. Nonetheless, we're inside right now talking about Syracuse football and basketball, and we're going to start it off with Quincy Garrier. And by now, it's it's old news. Quincy Garrier announced a couple weeks ago that he'll be either transferring from Syracuse or going pro. And we'll find out what that decision is, uh, I assume, in the next couple of weeks. But he narrowed his list down to a top four recently, which we'll get into. But Ian, first of all, what is Syracuse losing in Quincy Garrier? Obviously, it's a huge void to fill, a returning starter that uh, is definitely going to bump Syracuse down in a lot of preseason rankings because of the value that he brought to this team. What is Syracuse losing and what is another team getting, uh, or a pro team, rather, by getting uh, Garrier? Well, the Quincy Garrier, at... at the time when I guess Syracuse loses in the Sweet 16 to Houston and everybody sort of turns their focus towards the offseason. Obviously, the transfer portal was a thing. We knew players were going to transfer, but I don't think we expected it to this magnitude. And I think Quincy Garrier was a guy that most Syracuse fans expected to come back, if we're being completely honest. I like, I completely understand his, his reasoning for testing the NBA waters, after his breakout early in the season, averaging what was it, eighteen and ten at and like during non-conference play, it's perfectly reasonable that a guy that got some NBA buzz early in the season wants to go see what the pro scouts are saying. However, after his great success at Syracuse, why not? Why go somewhere else? That's my question for Garrier, and that's that's why I'm kind of confused about this whole situation. It he would obviously be a starter. There's no question that Quincy Garrier would be the number one forward on this Syracuse team. So his decision to head elsewhere is is confusing to me, to say the least. Same with me, because it wasn't like he was here and he wasn't developing. Like you said, he took a huge jump from year one to year two. He added some elements to his game, like a jump shot from behind the three-point line. He got better on defense. He figured out how to kind of taper his energy and use it productively to avoid getting into foul trouble and stuff. So it wasn't like... He wasn't getting better, and he wasn't seeing the floor. The dude was a starter last season. He was a huge player for this team. So now he's, I, I, I don't know if it's going to work out or not, but what he's doing is throwing that away and seeking out a new opportunity. Obviously, he's got pro potential, so he's testing those waters out. But like you said, it would have made more sense if he was just testing the waters and 
you know, thinking about coming back to Syracuse because who knows how much better he could have gotten after another year of the offseason, another year of development going into next season. But now he's going to go to another school, and we've looked at his list. We'll get into it, like I said, in a, in a few minutes here. It's a good list. Like, these are good teams, but they're also teams that bring guys in that are also good players. So there's no guarantee that he'll be a starter at the programs he's trying to go play for. That's a really good point. I was going to bring that up. You beat me to it. But the whole thing with this transfer portal, you go somewhere else, and sure, if you're Robert Braswell and you go from Syracuse to Charlotte, you, you're going to have a role, right? Charlotte doesn't get top five, you know, power five ACC talent every single day. But you go somewhere like, a, you know, a program that's in the top 25, made the NCAA tournament last year, like Woody Newton did it at Oklahoma State, Sure, Oklahoma State's losing some bodies, but there's no guarantee that Woody Newton's going to play. I, I'm sure Mike Boynton loves him. That's why he brought him in. And I'm sure most schools would love to have a guy like Woody Newton. But there's no guarantee that you're going to play. And same thing with Garrier. Although you're going somewhere else where the grass could be greener, and of course it always appears greener when it's central New York and it's the middle of winter, but there, there's no telling what's going to happen next year at a different school. You could get phased out. You could have a problem with the coaching staff or the system. You're coming back to Syracuse. You're a known commodity and the coaching staff, the system, the the medical staff, what you're going to eat in the in the team cafeteria. That's all known. You're coming back to someplace that's comfortable and you're also building on a body of work that you already have instead of you can go like Quincy might go somewhere else and put up great numbers, but putting up great numbers at Syracuse, as you said earlier, shows improvement year after year in the same system, shows that you're flexible as a player as well, not only that you're growing, but you're adapting your game to fit what your coach tells you. And I guess the flip side of that argument could be, is the Syracuse system an NBA system? Now, like you said, he had NBA buzz early on in the season, but maybe he wants to test out other places where he thinks he can grow his game even more and become more versatile. So now, obviously defensively, every year Syracuse prospects have questions. How will they perform in a man-to-man defense and just really just defensively in the NBA because there's no zone principled systems. Obviously, there's zone defenses you could sprinkle in every now and then, but no team just straight runs a zone, right? So maybe Gary is trying to add a little, a, a few more tools on both sides of the floor to his game, and that's why he's considering going to other programs. But we also got to remember he's still keeping his name in the NBA waters, right? So maybe he thinks he's already ready to play and the scouts think he's already ready to play. I don't think he's ready to play. I would hope most scouts aren't telling him to go pro. I, uh, there, are, there are still holes in his game. He's got things to develop. He's got to be able to shoot consistently from behind the arc and not just when he's wide open and when his defender's just kind of sitting there in the paint. I don't I don't mean to disrespect his shooting, but a lot of his open threes were wide open. And he also doesn't have much of a game off the bounce. And until we proves that he's a really competent man-to-man defender, you can't you can't just go to the NBA with a suspect three-point jump shot and expect to make it somewhere. But chances are if Garrier goes pro this year, he's going to spend a year two, maybe more in the G League, really learn, like, finding his his shooting stroke, finding his handle, adjusting to the defensive schemes. He's got a lot to learn still. I think going to the pros right now is, is an early jump, and the money's nice. The money's nice. 
but I don't think he's going to get to where he wants to be just yet. And going back to the numbers improvement, I just want to paint this picture from freshman to sophomore year. Okay, so his field goal percentage remained the same, 49%. His three-point shooting went from 12.5% to 31%. That's a huge jump. But like Ian said, you got to be shooting a little bit better than that because in today's NBA game, people value the stretch five, right? If he could be a four or a five, that, that's, that's, uh, that remains to be seen. But rebounding goes from five to eight. And then points go from about 7 to 13, pushing 14. So big improvement there. And if he comes back, Ian, what kind of numbers do you think he would have put up next season? Or if he comes back to college just in general, what kind of numbers could you see him putting up at another school? At Syracuse, I thought he would have shot probably 38 to 40 in the upper 30s for sure from behind New York. And that those are those good numbers that you need to see. Um, and also, I think... He would have just been forced to, you know, diversify his offensive game. Stop trying to post up every single time. Work on your mid-range jump shot. Work on your handle. And I would hope Jim Beheim would start giving him the ball on the block and just say, not even on the block, on that like the mellow spot, as I call it, 15 feet away from the basket on the wing, and just say, go. We'll we'll surround you with shooters. Just go. Do your thing. However, I think it's about time that we talk about this list because we've been saying it for a while now. Gary is down to four. Illinois, Arizona State, Memphis, and Oregon. So, John, I know as we're, we're Big Ten people from Big Ten country, what do you think about Gary going to Illinois? I think it's a good fit. You got Kofi Coburn there, who I assume is going pro right after. Yeah, Coburn, Coburn and Dosumu, their two best players, are, are both headed to the NBA. Okay. Yeah, so I like the fit there for him. I think there's playing time to be had at that position. There, there's a couple players kind of hitting the portal as well from the Illini. So they're looking to rebuild. I think Gary is a plug-and-play player. He's got some offensive talent. He could be that stretch guy that you like in the offense. And really, they didn't have that last year because Coburn's not a three-point shooter, and uh, I have no idea how to pronounce it. We'll call him Georgie, their backup. The, the big oh, Georgie Bashanasvili? Yeah, we'll call him Georgie. Ian has the pronunciation now because he's a beast. I don't. I think that could be a good fit for him. And like you said before, we don't. both of us don't expect him to go pro. So I think any of the, the four teams from this list, I think you're going to see him coming back to college and playing for one of the teams. I think the fighting Illini definitely have a chance in this fight. And if he goes to Illinois, I'd hope he'd get a lot of touches. Only thing, Illinois is a guard-based offense. They always have been, and it always will be. Last year, it was DeSumo, Trent Frazier. Next year, it's going to be Andre Curbelo, the fantastic point guard um, who actually played at Long Island Lutheran in New York. So, Curbelo's amazing, and he's great in the pick-and-roll. Maybe Garrier would run some pick-and-roll with him, but I don't know. I just... I don't really see Illinois being a fit just because I don't think he's going to get enough touches. Next three schools, though, Arizona State, Memphis, and Oregon are really interesting because Arizona State is another guard-dominated offense, right? Last year, we saw, so Josh Christopher was a a guy that could have gone to Michigan, went to Arizona State. I tuned into a couple games early on the season. Arizona State actually played Boston College. Um, That was a real interesting matchup early on, but... Uh, Arizona State's another guard-dominated offense, and it's always going to be. Coach there, Bobby Hurley, right? Like that is going that is going to be a guard-dominated offense from now until you know the sun sets in the east, right? That like it'll always be guard, guard, guard as long as you have a guard there coaching your team. I don't think Gary is a good fit. Arizona State's also brought in a gamut of transfers, so I just don't see him fitting there. I think the only reason he has Arizona State on the list is because fellow Canadian and his good friend Lou Dort went there and is now excelling in the NBA. But 
Lou Dort went through two years in the G League and then exploded in the in the bubble last year. And that could be a path that Garrier looks to explore, like you said before. Now, Arizona State would be a huge change of scenery. I mean, you go from Central New York down to Arizona there. The weather, I'm sure, is a lot nicer. You don't have to deal with the winter. I don't think that's a concern for him. Also, Arizona State's program, I feel like, is kind of just it's in shambles. Is that fair to say? They have guys transferring in and out every year. They're testing the one-and-dones. They're still just not getting good on the court results. Yeah, and the whole Christopher thing, they had really high expectations going into last year, and they flopped. I would say, well, actually, I don't even need to say, I don't need to quant- quantify it. They flopped. Their program should have been top five in the Pac-12. They started off ranked, I believe, in the you know top 15 in the nation, and they completely just flamed out in conference play, did not make the tournament. And, I mean, once again, Hurley's going to have to start, build his team with these incoming transfers, but it's going to be an entirely new group of dudes. There might not be any chemistry until midway through the season, and that is not how you prove yourself to NBA scouts. Final two teams on the list, Memphis and Oregon. How do you like to fit in these two offenses? I, we saw a little bit of Oregon last year. They surprised and went really far in the tournament, but I'm not sure if Garrier fits that offense. Well, last year, Oregon's system was really interesting because they ran in the tournament. They had like five, six, six dudes out there just running up and down the court. I don't know how many of you saw that Oregon-Iowa game in the NCAA tournament, but Oregon... It was ridiculous how fast Oregon was getting up and down the court and just killing Iowa's defense because none of Iowa's defense just couldn't hang with Oregon. They were too fast. They were too athletic. And I think Garrier certainly fits that athlete mold. Um, Dana Altman, Oregon's coach, is amazing at molding, the, like working with the guys he has and molding his team in you know year after year. Also, Altman has another great track record with Canadians. Dylan Brooks now plays for the Grizzlies, came out of Canada. Chris Boucher, now with the Raptors, another Canadian. So I think that sort of aspect has you know, trickled into Garrier's transfer list. But I think Altman would certainly find a way to make Garrier a great player in their system. I don't know if he'd be number one in that offense, though. Oregon, unless like Peyton Pritchard's there, it's always kind of been by committee. That could be a good fit, though. It's it's a good, unlike Arizona State, this other Pac-12 program, the Ducks, they, they got a good program. I feel like they're they're, they're good every year. They're good year every in year. And year out. So I like that fit. And finally, how about Penny Hardaway and the Memphis Tigers? Well, okay, if we want to talk about weird systems, Penny Hardaway's teams over the past two years have been loaded with talent and can't seem to put it together. Last year, uh, Memphis screwed me over a couple times in re- in regards to betting just because Memphis is so hit or miss sometimes. They play good defense because they have tons of athletes, very switchable, but their offense is offense is terrible. They have no offensive system. They, they str- it's like watching it was like watching Syracuse in 2019 where they just give the ball, you know, to a guard and be like, "Please make a shot." And the big men weren't really involved besides setting screens. And the wings that were involved, I would assume Garrier would play the three at Memphis. You had to get involved off the dribble. And Garrier just can't do that yet. So I don't think Memphis is the place for him. Still a team, though, that competed for the American Athletic Conference Championship. And under Penny Hardaway has kind of been turned around in the past couple years. They brought in some good players. And Garrier could be the next great there. Once again, that top four is Arizona State, Illinois, Memphis, and Oregon. There's not a set date for his decision. So just keep an eye on Twitter, at Orange Fizz. We'll certainly have it if it ever gets released on the Bird app and at orangefizz.net for articles and everything of that nature. So that was Quincy Garrier 
and his prospects of going to the NBA or transferring to another collegiate school. Coming up next on Fizz Radio, we'll talk Syracuse football in the running back room. Don't go anywhere. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Back here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260, John Needs, Ian Unsworth taking you all the way up to 10 o'clock here. Be sure to check us out at orangefizz.net and at orangefizz on Twitter. So now we're going to talk about Syracuse and the running back situation heading into the fall of 2021. Ian, I wrote an article on the site. Once again, that's orangefizz.net about the power rankings in the ACC for running back rooms. And surprisingly, I had NC State. At number one, Syracuse checked in at number seven. How, what are your thoughts, I guess, going into the fall on the Orange's running back room now that they're kind of back at full strength? I thought they'd be higher. On first just first notice, I thought they'd be much higher. I mean, there are a lot of schools, I think, this year with some unproven commodities. Like Clemson, Travis Etienne is gone. And Lin J. Dixon and Kobe Pace, like, those guys are good, but they're not exactly proven. And I think there's some other schools on here as well, Florida State, for example, that I think maybe you gave them the benefit of the doubt, seeing as the guys are, might be more talented from like a recruiting standpoint. But I think Syracuse, although the production from the run game hasn't always been there in the past two years, I think Syracuse, at the end of the season, we could be talking about this running back crew as a top four, top three group in the ACC. That's a fair argument. And understandably so. I was one, I was super high on this running back room, and I wrote an article about this a couple months ago. They could have the best running back room in the ACC, but when it came to the nitty-gritty and actually sat down and did all the research, it was actually really hard to rank the, like, outside of the bottom five, which is like Virginia and, and schools that have like one running back, and or in some cases Boston College have no running backs that are proven at least. It was hard to rank these. I mean, I have North Carolina at number six. They have Ty Chandler, that beast that's coming over from Tennessee, and Caleb Hood, an incoming five-star running back. They're at number six, still ahead of Syracuse. It was just super hard to do these rankings. The reason why I have Syracuse so low is because Sean Tucker, yes, he's a proven commodity. He's going to be your starter. He's one of the best in the ACC. We don't know what the Orange are going to get from Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams. Obviously, we know what they've done in the past. And for Abdul Adams, that's not much. And for Jarvion Howard, that's also not very much. We don't know what kind of shape they're in and what they could do for the Syracuse team in the fall. So that's the reason why they're checking in at the midway point at number seven. But you got to think, right? We have one proven commodity in Sean Tucker here in Syracuse. And Syracuse kind of figured out during the season last year Maybe it took a couple games, but Sean Tucker's the guy they need to be giving the ball to. He was breaking off runs against all different calibers of talent. It wasn't just the Liberty defenses of the world or maybe Duke that Sean Tucker was breaking into holes. Like, Sean Tucker looked good against Clemson. He looked like someone that could compete at that high level, although sometimes the offensive line wasn't really helping him out. He broke some big ones, and that's... That's something that you can't always say for the rest of the Syracuse team that when they go up against tough competition, they're ready. Sean Tucker's ready. And I think just the fact that Syracuse has him back alone, and even if they didn't have Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams, I'd feel at least content with the state of Syracuse's running back position. And you said, we don't know what we're going to get from Adams. We don't know what we're going to get from Howard. But those just have to be sort of sprinkles on your ice cream sundae, right? You get these guys back, 
Like we before COVID happened and opting out even became a thing, we weren't sure that Abdul Adams was going to be at Syracuse in 2021. Same thing could go for Jarvion Howard. I mean, last year if Tucker if he played and Tucker had taken the role that he has now, Howard might be in the transfer portal. But due to this opting out, we have these guys back, and it's just sort of a, an additional boost to the running game. That's fair, and as far as Sean Tucker, he had the third most yards by a freshman in program history, 626, and the second most yards per game with about 70, and like you said, that was with an offensive line that is not going to be as good, that was not as good last year as it's going to be next year with the additions of Willie Tyler, Chris Blake, they may shuffle around that line and put Aaron Service at center instead of tackle, who knows? One thing's for sure, the line is not going to be as bad as it was last year and the year before that. So who knows what kind of numbers Tucker could put up. But as far as Howard and Adams, Ian, what roles do you see them taking on this fall? Because Adams was Syracuse's former number two back in 2019, and Howard was kind of in that role where he was getting some repetitions as well. Neither of them were starters. Mo Neal had that position, right? So what kind of role will Adams and Howard hold for this Orange team in the fall? Let's start with Howard because although... I, I've said this on Fizz Radio's past. I like Jarvion Howard a lot, and I love what he brings on a football field. I don't think he gets enough love from the Syracuse coaching staff. And maybe now with... He's never played under Sterling Gilbert and in, in the Sterling Gilbert offense, so maybe something, some sort of dynamic changes here where Howard will get a bit more love. Unfortunately, I don't know if I see that happening. But I, I like... Jarvion Howard a lot more than I like Abdul Adams. I discussed this with Gil Gross in the past, and you and I have talked about it as well on Fizzcasts. I, I just don't, I'm not impressed by Abdul Adams. I'm, there's nothing, I mean, I think the dude is still carrying his two touchdowns against West Virginia in Syracuse's last bowl game, and his 90-something yard run he had as a freshman in Oklahoma, and just riding that glory. And I'm sorry, but like the Camping World Bowl is old news now. Like, this is a new era of Syracuse football, and for me, Abdul Adams just, I guess, explosiveness-wise, agility-wise, he do- he just doesn't have it for me, and I think Howard has more of that straight-line speed, even being a bigger guy, so he works more in like the goal line, the short-yardage situations, and also, I just like him in the open field. He's going to run over a safety. We- that's a guarantee. Yeah, Howard has the potential to be an every down back instead of just like a third down guy or a scat back. So you got to like that about him. He's kind of, uh, his his game is comparable, I would say, to Tucker's. And their size is pretty much the same as well. And the 2021 roster, they just kind of reuse the numbers from previous rosters. So I don't know how much Howard weighs now or how tall he is, but... Previously, he was 5'10", 202. Sean Tucker's 5'10", 208. So a similar build, similar playing style as well. One thing I will say in Adams' defense is, first of all, the offensive line was just terrible in 2019. I don't think he's had an opportunity to run behind a good offensive line yet. He had one in the Camping World Bowl, and look what he did. He had one at Oklahoma. He did some good things as a Sooner as well. And the other thing, I think he has the biggest receiving potential out of the three backs. Maybe Sean Tucker a little bit. He kind of displayed a little bit of what he can do in the passing game last season. But in 2019, Abdul Adams had 15 receptions for 141 yards. That's nothing to you know sneeze at. That's pretty good. Whether that be through the screens or just routes out of the backfield, that could be how he finds his playing time uh, for the Orange. Uh, Tucker last year had eight receptions for 113 yards, just to put that sort of comparison out there. But then again, I think last year it was also, we talked about this a lot on the FizzCast, like you have to manage Tucker. 
and how much he gets the ball because it's his first year of college football and he wasn't an early enrollee or anything. This guy just kind of came off the cuff in fall practices. So you you can't just throw the whole gamut at him and expect him to be perfectly healthy. And he got dinged up at the end of the year because he took such a workload. He had so many carries, 137 of them in nine games. They, like his body just couldn't handle it. And he was the Syracuse offense. So when Tucker went out and you know the backup quarterbacks came in, it got rough besides Cooper Lutz's, what was that, the half against Wake Forest? It, it, it got rough for Syracuse at times moving the ball. So in terms of the receiving game, I can see that. But I also think now that Tucker has some, some backup behind him, he has some reinforcements that are truly of an ACC caliber, I think he can see the ball in the passing game more as well just because he'll have more time to rest on first and second downs. Three games last season, Tucker was over 20 carries. He had 24 against Georgia Tech, 21 against Liberty, 23 in the game against Notre Dame. Now, in each of those three contests, he went over 100 yards. But to that, I will say, I would hope you get over 100 yards if you're carrying the ball that much in a game. Yeah, they cannot be giving him that many. If you're Dino Babers, if you're still in Gilbert, you kind of you got to be managing the workload, like you said. Maybe give Tucker 15 per game. Even that's kind of a lot. 15 per game, maybe 10 for Howard, and 7 or 8 for Adams. I mean, you can get creative with it. Even Cooper Lutz, he had 100 yards against Notre Dame. He's kind of flashed a little bit at, at times. So I think the big thing for the Orange next year is managing the amount of carries that Tucker gets because, like you said, he's not doing you any good on the sideline. Now you have options in Howard and Adams behind him, obviously, to step in if he gets injured, but you want Tucker at 100% every game because he's arguably your biggest and best weapon on the offensive side of the ball. And I'd like to see Syracuse get more creative as well. Now that they have three running backs, do something, do some two-back sets, right? Split one out wide, throw some motion in there. Maybe even run the Wildcat with Tucker. I think the Wildcat with Tucker would be... What do you think about that? I'm, I just kind of, it just kind of came to me. But what do you think about the Wildcat with Tucker? I feel like they did it once last year. I, they they, they might the, have against oh, Notre no, Dame. It was with Nikeem Johnson, I think. Oh, well, they, well, oh, oh, yeah, that was against Clemson. They lined him up on like a fourth and one. I thought they, they might have done it against Notre Dame once. Maybe, maybe. I, can't, I can't exactly recollect. But I think Tucker in the Wildcat has great potential... If you put, like, Tucker and Howard in the backfield on a goal line set, like, that could be nice. And then you got Elmore blocking as, yeah. as the H-back wing. And that's one thing I am excited for. The offensive line is going to be better, obviously. You don't have to have Chris Elmore playing guard either. So now he can play tight end. He can be a blocker. He's also a bit of a receiver. So I think him being in the backfield as that wing guy, and especially those two-back sets, could be a huge weapon for Syracuse, could really help the Orange move the ball. I mean, who would you rather have leading you through a hole than Chris Elmore? It's like... It was like Ben Mason getting drafted to the Ravens. Elmore's the next fullback getting drafted in the NFL, I would say. So I could totally close. see that. And last but not least, let's just hope this is the year that the running backs like have a really productive season, number one, and two, finally take some pressure off the quarterback position. I think overall, Syracuse's run game, like these guys are good, and we all know they're good. People outside of Central New York might not be aware of how much talent is in this running back room, but I think people who pay attention to Syracuse football, even if it's not you know, on a day-to-day, -day close, super close basis like you do, like I do, people understand that there is talent in this backfield. So hopefully these guys can come together, have a good season, and whatever accolades they garner, it might not be much. This is Syracuse football. And this is not the big boy of the ACC, but they got to take pressure off the quarterback position. And on the flip side of that, I would argue the quarterback has to take pressure off that position because last year... 
Like, the Orange couldn't move the ball at all. That first game against North Carolina, like a three-yard gain. I was sitting here clapping my hands going crazy. It wasn't a loss in the backfield because the offensive line was so bad. So, obviously, uh, both both the running game and the passing game need to succeed for Syracuse to then succeed. But I think if the Orange can find some more answers in the passing game, if they could find a potent quarterback who can do things with the ball, then I think that takes a lot more pressure off that running game. It'll open up bigger holes. It'll prevent teams from stacking the box. Last thing before we close this up, Tucker is the starter week one, and if anything else happens otherwise, I'm going to go down to Manly myself. I don't think there should be any question about it. Yeah, no, there's no debate. Unless uh, Howard and Adams, remember, had to work their way up from the bottom of the depth chart. Like Dino said at the beginning of the spring, because they opted out, now you guys are running back seven, running back eight on this team. You're going to have to work your way up. Now, obviously, I think they're going to get back up to one, two, and three with Tucker, the starter. I think Howard's the number two, and then Adams, that number three. But don't sleep on Cooper Lutz as well. So that was our talk about Syracuse football and the running backs heading into the fall should be a position of strength for the Orange. Coming up next on Fizz Radio, we'll do our five-star review, talk about some football and basketball players that Syracuse has in its sights for recruiting. That's coming up next after the break on Fizz Radio. I'm going to need a five-star review. Five-star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five-star reviews. Hey, five stars. Back here on Fizz Radio, John Eats, Ian Unsworth taking you up to 10 a.m. We just stopped talking about football. We were talking about Syracuse's running back room. And we're going to continue on that here as we indulge in our five-star review segment, which if you're new to this uh, site, be sure to follow us at OrangeFizz on Twitter and at OrangeFizz.net. The OrangeFizz five-star review is where the hosts discuss a Syracuse football and basketball prospect that the Orange are recruiting at a high school or in the transfer portal. We talk about their game and what they could bring to Syracuse. And today we have a pair of prospects. We're going to start with the football side of things, Ian. Makai Mason, a linebacker out of Florida, has scheduled an official visit for Syracuse this summer. And he's a guy that the Orange were in the top seven for. They're very much in the running for this prospect. Let's take a look at his sort of overall build on 24-7. He's listed at 6'1", 220, right, out of Opelika, Florida. Goes to Monsignor Pace. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But Monsignor Pace, I don't, I'm not sure if I know the pronunciation, but I know they're loaded. They are loaded with football talent. They have Shamar Stewart, who's a top defensive end in the class of 2022, could be headed to Miami. But like this defense, this team as a whole is loaded. And Mason's only a three-star recruit, so he's sort of flying under the radar compared to some of the other guys on his team. He's just under an 85 on the 24-7 sports composite. But I think people are starting to take notice of Makai Mason. The ranking might be under the radar, but his offer list is as impressive as they come. And by the exactly. way, this high school, it's in Miami-Dade County. And if you know anything about Florida and high school football, Miami-Dade County specifically, they just churn out great prospects for the college game and eventually the pro game as well. But let's take a look at his offer list in totality. He released a top seven back in April, which I'll give to you guys after. But as far as his offers go, you got Ole Miss on there. You got Mississippi State. 
LSU, uh, Liberty's kind of been off of its uh, elevating uh, recently. You freeze. Uh, Georgia Tech, Coastal Carolina, West Virginia, Florida State, Indiana. Now, as far as the top seven goes, a couple of the teams I just mentioned are in there. So, obviously, you got Syracuse, you got Pittsburgh, Indiana, West Virginia, Ole Miss, Florida State, and Georgia Tech. And from what, from what it looks like, it appears that West Virginia, the Orange, Florida State, and Indiana are his top four, if you will. And like I said before, the Orange have an official visit scheduled for this summer. I think that's big. It's really big because Mason should be coming in as some of Syracuse's better, more experienced linebacking talent is probably going to be on the way out, right? I would think Mikkel, Mikkel Jones, if he has a great season, uh, wins all the ACC honors, you know, maybe sneaks, I would say tiptoes around the edge of the Nagurski Award conversation. That's a, I'd say that's a big, that's probably a big step forward for Mikkel Jones. But still, I think... He could start looking at the NFL draft, and I'm sure in the like once the class of 22 comes in, Mikel Jones will probably be on his way out. You mentioned the measurables before, 6'1", 220. Mikel Jones definitely has an NFL future, and I wouldn't even say that Nagurski is a stretch. The guy was involved in the most turnovers by a linebacker in the country last year, uh, led like pretty much everybody in the ACC at the linebacker position in turnovers. But I think Makai Mason projects more into Jeff Canton Arcu's role. Right, a bigger guy that can get in the backfield and not only rush the passer, but bring down the runners in the run game. Jeff Canton Arku last year had six tackles for loss and four sacks. And when I watched the Mason film, when I flipped on his huddle, he was always in the backfield. He always had a nose for getting in there, shutting down a play, finding where the ball was trying to go, and getting out on the perimeter and making good tackles. So I think he projects into that position in the future. I didn't really see the playmaking ability of him intercepting balls or anything like that, playing in coverage. But that's kind of stuff you can learn once you're on campus, right? Yeah, and I've, I'm with you on just the getting in the backfield aspect. I think he's really developed his knowledge and his eyes are really smart. He doesn't seem to get sort of thrown off by play fakes, head fakes. He knows his assignment and he sticks with it. If he's on the running back, he's with the running back in a split second. And if he has to take a couple seconds, diagnose, break down the play, he will. He stays calm and patient. He doesn't commit to anything super early. I think his head is, is you know, you mentioned his physical attributes. We've talked about those, but I think his head is well advanced and his IQ is, is growing as well. In 2020, he had 42 tackles, 12 tackles for loss, and six sacks. And once again, he'll be visiting Syracuse in the summer, have an official visit. And that's usually when you tend to see prospects commit. But he's got a lot of them lined up. We talked about his top seven before. So keep it locked to at Orange Fizz on Twitter. And if there's an announcement there, a commitment there in the summer, we'll have it. And one more thing, the the dead period, which has stretched on for a long, long, long time, is finally over. So expect to see plenty more prospects, whether it be football or basketball, start getting these official visits rolling in the 315. You know, it's summertime, almost summertime now. It's nice. It's a beautiful time to show guys the campus. So expect to see a lot of those coming soon. So that's a commitment on the horizon, perhaps coming this summer. But how about one that's coming up perhaps today? Arthur Kaluma, a former UNLV commit for basketball, a 6'8 power forward, a borderline five-star prospect. Syracuse is heavily in the running for this prospect, Ian. And like I said before, he's supposed to commit today. Well, I mean, it's around the weekend. It was supposed to be Friday. It's gotten pushed back. Arthur Kaluma's recruitment has been anything short of a roller coaster ride. Tends he, to be with yeah, he was committed to UNLV. But uh, one of his fellow recruits got involved, and, and there was a, like a car crash incident. Um, the, the details of that are all pretty foggy. But eventually, Kaluma decommitted, um, and now he's back on the market. He's got four schools, 
I would say that are probably like he's probably narrowed it down. Arizona seems to be like the front runner right now, but Arizona and Syracuse, I would say, would be his top two. So Kaluma is a 6'8", 205 player, power forward from Dream City Christian class of 2021 player. You talked about Arizona. As far as his offer list goes, it's also pretty impressive. USC, A&M, Cuse, Oklahoma, Kansas, it goes on and on, right? So Ian, what could Arthur Kaluma bring to this team? I know he's a very talented offensive player. He's also really good at defense, but uh, I guess when, when you think of Arthur Kaluma, what do you think of? It's that raw athleticism, first and foremost. His game, he's got components of, of I would say, a lot of different players. I mentioned him earlier sort of replacing Quincy Garrier, and that's, honestly, when I saw Garrier as a freshman at Syracuse, that's what Kaluma's reminding me of, sort of this raw player that plays with a ton of energy and goes down low and jumps and competes and battles. Kaluma's best game, like move on offense is dribble driving and just finishing through contact. He's super strong on the way up, getting the ball up, and he's got that quick second jump. If he misses a layup, he's going to get that rebound, and you best believe he's putting the second attempt in. Other than that, though, his offensive game, is it's still a work in progress, but those, those attributes, that aggressiveness, that jumping ability, translates well to the defensive side. Josh Gershon, who's a national recruiting analyst for 247 Sports, says he needs to improve his handle and his jumper. It sounds pretty familiar. If he wants to improve yeah. his offensive game, and hit, offensive game and hit his ceiling offensively, those are the two things he needs to improve. Like we said, we talked about Quincy Gary before. Pretty, pretty similar, I would say. Yeah, and there's the chance that Kaluma could hop in a starting spot. I mean... Benny Williams, we've talked about him for so long now, but Kaluma is a guy that's just as talented. You said it earlier, on the cusp of being a five-star recruit. Uh, I mean, a guy that a four-star, almost a 99 on the 24-7 sports composite. Like, this is a guy that Syracuse was way, way back in November, October. He was sort of on the radar, and then we just kind of forgot about him because he was supposed to go to UNLV. Just want to mention it, his other, his last... Uh, other two schools are Washington and Creighton, and I think Creighton's been sort of getting a little buzz as of late, but I don't, I don't really understand why one would go to Creighton, because they are lacking at the power forward spot, but still, I don't know, Kaluma seems like he'll either be going home, like Creighton was not in the running for Arthur Kaluma back in October, November. Arizona, his home state, it makes a lot of sense that he would stay home, but coming to Syracuse also has a lot of potential, because like I said, there's there are starting spots open at the forward. And kind of just to go back there, like you said, he's an in-state guy. Arizona was actually the last team to offer him back, actually a couple weeks ago, May 5th, they offered Kaluma. So he committed to UNLV in November, signed with them six days later, but then asked for a release from his uh, you know national letter of intent there back in late April. So it's starting to see that quite a bit, and we see it in football, and now we're kind of seeing it in basketball this could be kind of a, a good late pickup for Syracuse. Is that some attrition to the transfer portal and the NBA this offseason? And if you add Kaluma to that group of forwards, which is now Benny Williams, Cole Swider, Jimmy Bayheim, you've gotten better. There, There's no question about it. Obviously, Gary A, as we talked about, hurts a lot. But if you if you add Arthur Kaluma to the crop of the other three you've already got, you've instantly gotten better. Kaluma is miles ahead of Woody Newton and Robert Braswell. Maybe not in terms of shooting ability, but in rebounding and what he could bring on the defensive end just as a problem 
solver and also a problem for the opposing team when it comes to getting down low, when it comes to having guys open on the wings, getting your getting your three-point shots blocked, like Kaluma will be an instant impact guy. So we'll see if the Orange can snag Kaluma. His commitment is expected to be either today or this weekend. Be sure to check us out at Orange Fizz on Twitter. Give us a follow there. We'll be sure to have that news for you if and when it drops this weekend. But that was the five-star review segment. And next, we'll have everybody's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback, coming up next on the Score 1260. Taking you home here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. John Eads, Ian Unsworth here, and we're about ready for everybody's favorite segment, Fizz Feedback. Be sure to check us out at Orange Fizz on Twitter. This is where we post the feedback questions each week, and you guys can vote on those polls throughout the week. Every week we do Fizz Radio, and be sure to check us out at orangefizz.net on the world of the internet. Ian, got three questions this week, right? Yes, sir. Three polls. First and foremost, we talked about Quincy Garrier at the beginning of the show. And so adding Quincy Garrier to another college basketball team, obviously not Syracuse, he's not coming back, makes a team A, one to two wins better, B, four to five wins better, C, it could move you into the top 25, or D, you could win the conference because you have Quincy Garrier on your team. Well, I'm not going to go with D because I know Fizz Nation likes to get extreme, but that seems a little extreme to me. But depending on the school he goes to, that could be true. I'm going to go with top 25 team with Quincy Garrier transferring to your school. All right. Well, a lot of Fizz fans are pessimistic, yeah, and they said one to two wins better with 40% of the vote. And then 35% said four to five wins better. And honestly, I got to lead toward four to five wins because I, th- I th- honestly, he's an experienced player. We saw him make massive differences in the beginning of the year when Syracuse barely could make a three. Like, he was the guy that was winning games for them. So I think he could do the same for another team. 18% of Fizz Nation said move into the top 25, and 7% said win the conference. Had a couple replies here. None of the above until he learns how to finish in the lane or get past the defender off the dribble. From Alfred Sveradoski, I apologize if I butchered that. From Cuse Orangeman, 44, depends on the team. Adding him to Cuse helps depth, but doesn't add many, if any, wins. And Adewale Adelike, Adelike, excuse me, again, says, in Memphis's case, they won the conference. So, there you go. That's what Quincy Garrier adds to a team. Second question, which SU running back makes the biggest impact next year? Is it Sean Tucker, Abdul Adams, Jarvion Howard, or... Josh Huff, incoming recruit. I'm sorry, but this one was just way too obvious. It's Sean Tucker. He was a starter to end last year, and he's better than both Adams and Howard entering this season. So, yeah, Sean Tucker all the way. Yeah, Sean Tucker, 65% of Fizz Nation is rocking with you there. Adams got 22%. Howard only got 9%. I was a little surprised about that. I thought he deserves a bit more love. And Josh Huff got maybe a vote, 4%. Huh? I mean, he deserves he deserves a vote. He's going to make some kind of an impact, I think, in some capacity. Yeah, maybe a goal line back. All right, last but not least, in the five-star review, we talked about Arthur Kaluma. If Arthur Kaluma comes to Syracuse, he A, comes off the bench, B, starts over Benny Williams, C, starts over a transfer wing, Cole Swider or Jimmy Bayheim, or D, he's not coming to Syracuse. I'm going to go D. I think he's either going to, he's going to the field. I'm not even going to guess a team. He's going to the field. All right, and once again, John, 56% of Fizz Nation's with you there. He's not coming. 
is the majority answer. We have a reply. I wish he would, says Dave Tyndall. Benny could play the two or the three. Think of the zone with Benny up top. That would be pretty crazy. But 22% say he comes off the bench, and 19% say he starts over a transfer. We'll be waiting to hear about Kaluma's decision. I mean, that could be the tipping point for Syracuse's season next year. Could be the tipping point, and his, once again, his, we mentioned this earlier, his commitment's going to be either today or this weekend, so keep it locked, folks, to at OrangeFizz on Twitter, and be sure to check us out at OrangeFizz.net for continued coverage in the offseason for both football and basketball. Hey, we got some lacrosse going on, too, so maybe we'll have a couple lacrosse articles up as well. But that's going to do it for Ian Unsworth. I've been John Eads. Thank you so much for tuning in to Fizz Radio. Talk to you next week.